We're continuing on with our series, Overcoming Principalities. And so far we've dealt with two, uh, disobedience and lying. We're going to continue on this week with the principality of rejection. Before we do that, let's open up with our text scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the world's rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take to yourselves the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, therefore stand, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching to this very thing with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Hallelujah. And as I shared, the principalities that we're looking to overcome, in the underlying Greek, that word principalities means chief in order, time, place, or rank, or magistrate. In other words, this is a higher level spirit that we may be engaging in in warfare on a daily basis. Amen. Hallelujah. Once again, I shared the governmental structure. The kingdom of darkness is similar to the kingdom of, of light in which it has a governmental structure. There are um, Michael, Lucifer, and Gabriel were the archangels. Amen. Michael was over the heavenly armies. He was the warfare archangel. Gabriel was the revelator. Amen. He was in charge of all the, the great revelations. He was the one that basically foretold, amen, the, the, the coming of the Messiah. Amen. He was the one that talked to Mary and said, you're going to be, you know, pregnant with child. He was the one that came and gave the message to Daniel. Whenever there's this huge, epic, world-changing revelations, it's typically Gabriel himself who comes on the scene. But then there's other points where revelation may come on a smaller scale. Amen. And then there was Lucifer. He was the one who was the archangel in charge of heavenly praise and worship. Of course, he was the idiot who rebelled and got cast down in the earth. But we still see the anointing that he has in the, in the area of um, putting up music to influence the atmosphere. Amen. It, it, previously, it was in the worship and covering. They called him the covering cherub. He covered the throne room and all heavenly places with worship to adore and glorify God. Now he still puts forth praise, but it's for ungodly things, sex. And, you know, this, you know what, better have my money and the, the other stuff you hear out there, sex, money, cars, drugs, violence. He's still singing, in other words, and inspiring people to write and sing. So each one of these ones, amen, like I said, there's a governmental structure, and within that governmental structure there are lesser-ranking um, beings and lesser-ranking spirits, lesser-ranking um, influences, principalities and things. And these, 12, these 13 things that we're looking at, um, are universally found over the entire planet. It doesn't matter what race you are, what religion you are, what culture you are. 
you will find disobedience on every part of this planet. You will find lying on every part of this planet. And as you're going to see as we go, you're going to see these principalities all over the planet Earth. They may be defined by different names in that religion, culture, or language, but it is the same underlying root sources and spirits and influences. Amen? Hallelujah. So as we prepare to go into the third one, let's first open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you the glory, honor, and praise for the opportunity to study the principalities. Amen. Not that we would fear them, but that we would know, according to the word of God, hallelujah, how to discern them, how to thwart them, how to engage them in battle. Matter of fact, in the very passage of Scripture that we hear that we are to wrestle about them by putting on the full armor of God, we ask you to make us discerning and sightful. Let us be cautious but not fearful. Let us be courageous but not reckless, Lord. Show us by your spirit and by your word how we will act or how we will not act. Show us how to have bold confidence but and then other times to stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, we ask you, Lord, to show us in every situation how we must perceive and discern and react and how to respond and speak, how we should behave, how we should impart, how we should thwart, and how we will interact in various situations. And we give you the praise, the honor, and glory, Lord, not only that we will be able to walk and wage war effectively against these principalities, Lord, but also as we would see them influence the lives of others, Father, show us how to bless them, how to fight on their behalf, and how to pull them out from under their influence, Lord, that they may be liberated in you, saved, set free, delivered in the name of Jesus. And we thank and praise you, Father, for these things. Amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah. All right, so we looked at the last two weeks, disobedience, which causes man to disobey God. Then we looked at Lying, which causes man to either believe in or speak or act in a deceptive fashion. This week, we're continuing on principality of rejection. And with rejection, it causes mankind to believe that they are not accepted. Amen? It starts with it may start with people, it may start with structures, it may uh, be a situation in which people feel they are unfairly treated or expelled. It may be God himself that they feel has rejected them. We can see the results of rejection and how it sparks other negative emotions. Um, you look at the situation that just occurred, the man shooting the reporters. I, I read a couple of articles and they said that he was basically a lifetime victim of what he perceived as rejection and unfair treatment. You know, even when they called him in multiple times to try to get him to see that his behavior, his attitude, the things that he said, and the way in which he interacted with people was at the root of his problem. He could never see that. He always continued to feel that he was rejected. And as a result, he lashed out and took uh, two innocent lives. Amen. We see this over and over again. So we need to be aware that these are the sort of things that occur. And once again, these principalities can act individually or they can act in tandem with other principalities. Amen. Matter of fact, you can see that 
Not only did he, was he submitted to the spirit of rejection, nobody respects me, nobody cares about me, everybody makes me an outcast, everybody is kicking me to the curb, everybody's blocking my opportunities. But we see that he actually fell under principality of lying because he believed the deception that was speaking to him that I'm not being treated right. I am a victim here and everybody else is wrong. So he gave in to two. Maybe you could say he gave in to disobedience too. Actually, you could say that. People tried to bring him in and say, hey, man, you know, ease up and don't speak to people like that and act like change your behavior. No, I'm being mistreated. So anyway, we're going to look at, before we look in the Word, let's look at two quotes that the Lord gave me in regard to rejection. The first one is by Steve Marabali, who wrote a book called Unapologetically You, Reflections on Life and the Human Experience. And what Steve Marabali said was, every time I thought I was being rejected from something good, I was actually being redirected to something better. Man, that's a great attitude to have about rejection. I'll read it again. Every time I thought I was being rejected from something good, I was actually being redirected to something better. Wow, that's a great attitude to have. Amen. So I don't have to take rejection so personal. No, I'm not being mistreated. I'm not victimized. I'm not an outcast. I'm not a misfit. I am not being deemed as somebody that is unimportant or insignificant. Instead, I see a rejection as not something that is personally geared towards hurting me or saying I'm not worthy. Instead, I see it as a statement being made to me that this is not meant for me, and now I must take my focus off of it and redirect my energies and my, uh, my focus somewhere else that is more appropriate. This guy had more revelation than a lot of people with his attitude if he lives by this statement. And here's one by Charles Stanley, we know to be one of the greatest men of God of this generation. He said, too many Christians have a commitment of convenience. They'll stay, they'll stay faithful as long as it's safe and doesn't involve risk, rejection, or criticism. Instead of standing alone in the face of challenge or temptation, they check to see which way their friends are going. <laughs> Just another lemming going off that cliff. I don't want to be rejection, rejected. So it doesn't matter if they perceive things right, if they've heard from God, if they're doing what is appropriate. I'm going to go along with them because I'd rather be part of the in crowd than to go in another direction where I don't fit in. Amen? As we see here, that might seem to be the way to go, but, you know, as wise as he is, Charles Stanley says, not always. Sometimes you got to go against the grain. Amen? Matter of fact, you see some of the greatest leaders, the, the greatest people that have inspired of us, of us of all time. A lot of time you will find that they actually went against public or organizational or whatever findings that the group at large, the majority, thought was appropriate. Look at Martin Luther King Jr., amen? Public opinion said, stay in your place. White bathroom here, black bathroom over there, or coloreds. <laughs> yeah, he went against the grain, and now we see the benefit of that. If we go back to the founding of this nation, 
Public opinion was pay your taxes and do what the crown tells you to do. But you had these rabble-rousers. No, we will not pay taxes. And we're going to have our own country. So you can't always go with the group. Amen? Hallelujah. So anyway, we're going to continue on. Let's look at some of the things that are, are related to rejection. The first thing we're going to look at is rejection instills a sense that the very essence of who you are is unacceptable. Amen? Rejection instills a sense in the individual that the very essence of who they are is unacceptable. How do you get over that? Amen? Just think about that. Just the essence, the DNA, the core of what you are, what you're called to do, who you're called to be, and what you're about. The very essence of that, I reject it. And to have somebody carry that around with them on a daily basis. We're going to look at Romans chapter 9, verses 13 to 24. And it says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet fa find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replieth against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endureth which with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And we're talking about the very essence of you being unacceptable. And as we see here, the, that essence that may be in a, a human being, walk in the face of this planet, the very core, the foundation, the fabric, the essence of who I am is not accepted. I'm inadequate. I'm unworthy. I'm unfit. I'm an outcast. I'm unwanted. You know, at the end of the day, different people can look at you and they can make that observation or they may even speak that over your life. But if we really go back to the word of God and, and absorb it the way he wants us to, God says it's not about what they see in you. It's not about how they define you, what they want out of you, where they want you to go, how they want you to act, what you're supposed to do with your destiny. Their opinion makes no difference to me because I'm God. 
I'm the one who assembled the essence of who you are. I'm the one who observed the moment that sperm cell hit that egg and sparked a life. I was the one that was present there and saw it growing inside of the body, knowing that it was going to be a boy or girl before it even got to the place to see the, the limbs and other body parts that will let you distinguish what this baby was called to be. And I'm also the one that even before the baby came out of the womb, I had already declared the end from the beginning of that baby's life, and I see this is the purpose and the plan. These are the attributes I put in a child, and this is what I intend to happen over the course of that person's destiny. So how dare any of them call you a misfit, say you don't fit in, say why don't you do this or think this or act this way like the rest of us? How dare any of them say that because I'm the one who is the author and finisher of their faith? But then he goes a step further. <laughs> he says, not only do none of those people have the right to dictate who you are, and there's balance. You know, if you're acting dysfunctional, illegal, something like that, yeah, people should observe you and say, you need to get some stuff worked out and get yourself in the right direction and become responsible and become an asset to society. To society. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the very essence of who you are. If you're law-abiding, if you're trying to grow and improve yourself as a person, I'm saying that they don't have the right to dictate that. Only God himself does. But then God goes a step further. He said, not only do they not have the right to define it, he says, you don't even have the right to do it. Last time I checked, did you create the heavenly blueprint of who you are? <laughs> and we are creative, so we have the capability to envision things and, and make them. Chefs cook foods. I mean, you know, we, we, we all have been, been in situations where we've cooked meals and brought together the ingredients and assembled them and mixed a little bit of this and a little bit of that and decided in advance what I'm going to make. So we're very creative. We're also creative in the sense that there's certain things that we pine for or we like and we enjoy and we pursue those things and make them goals for our career. So there is a certain amount of creativity in terms of what we do. But at the end of the day, if we're trying to define ourselves to be something that God says, no, that's not for you, then even we are rejecting God's plan and we're outside of the will that he has for us. So the only way to get ourselves to the place where we're totally aligned with the will of God, and here's the thing, when we're aligned with the will of God, that is the most perfect place that you could ever be. I just got an image of something. <laughs> you know how they talk about putting the square peg in the round hole? And you just keep trying. <laughs> okay, if I, if I squeeze it, if I press down hard, if I turn it a little bit. And you, you know, you wearing it down a little bit so the edges get a little. <laughs> but then you ever have something, you cram something in, then you decide to try to bring it out and you can't, it's wedged. That's what happens when we try to press something where it doesn't belong. You may even get it in, but then you can't get it out. And that's the thing. Some of us spend our entire life, God's saying, I called you to be this. Here's the destiny I had for you. But because we don't want to accept it or people don't want to accept this, we try to fit into 8 million other things. And there's times where people are actually quite successful in terms of what they're doing. 
but they're unhappy. They said, there's something missing. I've heard this multiple times. I've heard people, you know, interviewed or writing articles, and they say, oh, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a doctor, been a physician for a number of years, but I really want to practice law. My parents said I had to be a doctor, though. So by the world standards, you know, they're very successful, make a lot of money, but, like, I really don't like what I'm doing. I was pushed into this because my father was a doctor, my mother was a doctor, my grandfather was a doctor. I didn't want to be a doctor. But that's what the family did. So therefore, I do it, and I may have the credentials, and I may have great qualifications. I may have a clean-as-a-whistle um, track record. I haven't killed any patients, no malpractice, but yet, end of the day, I'm really a little empty because I'm not doing what God called me to do, and I'm not doing what makes me totally satisfied. So we got to get back to what God says. You know, if people, there's going to be a lot of people that might reject you for various reasons. You know, circumstances of your birth. Your race, your religion, your color, your sexuality. People will reject you for a lot of things. But at the end of the day, the ultimate measure of who you are, what your attributes are and how they are to be used, where you're going, and where your, your destiny is wrapped around, the ultimate answer, once again, does not amount to, it doesn't matter what the people say or what you even say. It goes back to what God says. And I think to a certain extent, as long as we're on that path where we're pursuing what we want or people expect out of us as opposed to what God wants, I think we might continue to go on the rest of our life with a little bit of emptiness or something's missing or I'm not quite satisfied. The thing that really bothers me in terms of this, though, is that it's one thing to be off course and not be exactly where God wants you to be. It's quite another thing that you go around in life on a daily basis sad, discouraged, emotionally wounded and beaten down because people's expectations, their harsh words, how they envision that your life should be, how they place and heap their disapproval upon you because you're not being what they defined you to be. That's where I really have a problem with this because it really weighs you down having to live with that on a daily basis. Amen? And I quite, quite frankly, I think that's a weight that a lot of people don't recover from. I remember I read an article. Um, somebody had asked, like, what happened to Michael Jordan's sons? And the two of them did play college basketball at a smaller, lower-level school, but neither one of them really did well. Had a situation where they... Um, in a club, blew 50 grand and had a little trouble there with the drinking. I think there was a, a fight, so there's stuff here and there. But one of the things that Michael Jordan actually said in his Hall of Fame speech, and people, it sounded a little cocky how he said it, but I think if you really absorb what he was saying, it made sense. He said, I actually feel sorry for my sons because they have to live up to me. Amen? Just imagine, people call him the greatest player of all time. There's always this expectation, well, your dad's a superstar, your boy's going to be superstars too. Even now, they're doing the same thing with LeBron James' sons. 
I've been watching the boys from the time they're probably like seven years old. Just playing like peewee basketball. You got people like, whoa, he laid it up. It looked like his dad. Already sizing them up. And the fact is, maybe they will do better than him. Maybe they won't come close. But there's the way in which people are observing and have an expectation and trying to define them as what they want them to be. May have them walking around later as adult men with this weight upon them that is totally unfair. And in some cases, we've dealt with the same thing. I'm disappointing you because I expected this out of you. Last time I checked, I ain't supposed to be meeting your expectation. And here's the thing. Your parents are going to always have a certain level of expectation upon you. And there's certain things that are appropriate. But, you know, I've seen situations where because, you know, I'm a cop, you got to be a cop. I'm a doctor, you got to be a doctor, whatever. There should, there might, it's, it's quite appropriate to say, okay, well, I'm college educated. I want my kids to go to college or to do something productive. You know, well, you envision a career in the military, go get yours. Be an officer, do great things. But to define and to be exactly what you are, that's where it gets a little crazy for me. Amen? And when you take your expectation and then you press that down upon somebody, whether you continually and verbally remind them over and over again how unfit they are and how they are not meeting your expectation, that's when it becomes excessive. See, God... God pushes and, 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 and nudges us and maybe chastises us and pushes us in different directions, but he never does it in such a way that we feel belittled or inadequate or why do you even exist? And these are the sort of things that people have heaped upon others over the years, their children or other people in their lives. And I think this is one of the reasons you see people getting caught up in drugs and alcohol or dysfunctional behavior because the weight that people place upon them. And I'm not saying that some people don't do it because of peer pressure or they just want to try to straddle the edge and see how far they, they can go because these things occur too. But I'm saying that there are instances where people are pushed into destructive behavior because of the excessive and unfair weight of expectations and rejection that are hurled upon them. That's where it's a problem. And if we're somebody that has been subjected to that, amen, one of the things we can see here in the Word of God is that you may never come to the place where people will accept how God defines you, amen? And you can walk around every day chasing after and chasing after and chasing after their acceptance and them to give you the five stars you want or the stamp of approval. But I can guarantee you that, I can actually guarantee you that there's no guarantee that you will ever get the acceptance that you seek. But I can promise you if you seek God's acceptance, amen, that is easily achievable. Amen? So God is the one who defines us, not the people surrounding us and their unfair, impure, excessive expectations. Neither is it us. And in some cases, our own unfair expectations of self. It goes back to God. 
And if we can't accept who he's defined us to be, he would say to us, as we see here, who are you to reply against me? Who are you, basically saying, who are you to argue with me over why, how, and what purpose I created you for? You can't see the big scheme of things. You can't see my master plan. You can't see that even though you seem to be insignificant, you're a person that is crucial to my purpose and plan. Thank you, Lord. I'll give you an example. <laughs> Rahab was a prostitute. So everybody's looking around. Let's keep it real. She a hoe. It is what it is. She's a lady of the night, throw on the fancy clothes and the makeup, put her hair up, and men walking by, and she's trying to coax them into her bedroom. Harlot. She'll be stoned. She's the bane of society. We should kick them out of town, or we should stone them to death. But there came a day when the men of God are trying to infiltrate a town, and where did they head? Right to her place where she let them in safely so that the plan of God could be fulfilled. And here's the thing that's even more crazy for our revelation. Amen? In the lineage of Jesus, her name is present. Think about that. <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all these patriarchs of the Bible, and they go down the list, and David, and all these different people, and all of a sudden, I said, oh. I'm not saying that her job description was appropriate, <laughs> but I'm here to say today that no matter how people define you and no matter what things you may have done in the past, God still sees a purpose and a plan in your life that is unique that he wants to bring something godly out of if only you allow it. And because she was open to disobey, to reject, to go against the grain of what everybody was supposed to do when they came to her place she was supposed to report them hey over here instead she went against the grain did what was expected by God not man and now we're reading about her in the Bible in multiple places amen so the world may reject you you may even do things that are inappropriate, but God still has something unique, a purpose, a plan, a goal, a pivotal moment that's got your name on it. Amen? Now, here's the thing. Are you going to answer the call of God? Or are you going to align yourself with his purpose and plan in that crucial moment? Or are you going to walk around being nothing but the, what the world has called you? I know it was a little extreme of what I called her. But what if she only walked around with that label, with that mindset? Well, I ain't nothing but a harlot anyway. So even if I tried to tell the guy, guys, you got safety here, they ain't going to come because why would they come to a harlot? See, she got outside the box of not only public opinion, but what she probably even saw herself. 
to allow the plan of God to be fulfilled. She saw something righteous in the people approaching her and decided to help them. Amen? And that shows you, too, even in the most rejected, despicable lifestyle that somebody may be leading, and even in a character that may seem to be impure, there's still a little spark of, you know what, I think I should do this. Amen? So people, life, society, governments even, will try to instill a sense that the very essence of who you are is is unacceptable, but God, amen, has a master plan, a unique purpose and destiny, unique attributes he's placed inside of each one of you that he wants you to fulfill. And as a result, once again, we cannot yield to the, the, the negative and ungodly perceptions and expectations of people, nor, and here's where we might have to do some mental or emotional retraining, nor can we continue to allow ourselves to be beat down by, oh, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'll never, end it. There's, there's more than enough <clears throat> rejection for this world and the devil to hurl on you. You don't need to be their ally. If you're walking around on a daily basis looking down to yourself, being negative about your gifts, your talents, your intelligence, your traits, your strength, your character, whatever it may be, if you go around on a daily basis thinking of or speaking about yourself in a negative manner, you are an ally of the kingdom of darkness and the influences of this world system that are sent your way to destroy you. And you need to repent and stop helping the devil. And start loving yourself enough to say, you know what, I'm not perfect. I do have some things I got to get right. There are some observations about me that people have made that are genuine and need to be addressed. But there's a difference between things that are true and will propel me towards being a better person and the things that are intended to tear me down, intentionally or otherwise. Amen? It's quite a difference. And I I am open to people giving me observations and saying, hey, Brian, work on this, do that, that. But I'm quite stubborn when it comes to you speaking something over me that I know don't stand. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. All right, you can think that. Party on. And I'm not, you know, being stubborn and, hey, if it hits home and it needs to be worked on and it's something I can prove in, I'll suck it up. Okay. All right. You're, you know what? You're right. I'll work on that. But if you're saying something over me that I know is coming out of the wrong spirit and with the wrong motive, all right. Yeah, whatever. Nope. Ain't working on it. <laughs> Sometimes you got to know when to be bold and when to be stubborn in God. Amen? So if it's coming out of a pure motive, don't take it in as rejection. Take it as in an area of improvement. If it is coming in the wrong, moment, wrong motive, once again, don't take it in as rejection. Take it in as, okay, well, we'll throw that baby out. I mean, we'll throw that bath water out. <laughs> we'll keep the baby. Because there could be elements of it that are okay. All right, next one. Ephesians 2, 4 through 10.
Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Praise the Lord. So like I said earlier, rejection is still a sense that the very essence of who you are is unacceptable. But we see quite the contrary in this passage of Scripture. First of all, we see that God is full of mercy and love toward each one of us. Does that sound like any kind of rejection? It's quite the opposite. As a matter of fact, it says that God's love for you did not just occur when you accepted him as your Lord and Savior. But it says, even when you were dead in sins, before you got to the point to acknowledging either his existence or the fact that you accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, even before you reached that time, it says God was rich in mercy and in his great love toward each one of you. I don't believe this is any coincidence at all that this sentence precedes the fact that by the grace of God we're saved, and he quickened us together with Christ. His love was present even before we got to the point. Amen? And his mercy gave us the opportunity time and time again, despite our rejection of him, he still extended his love and mercy toward us to give us another opportunity, whether it's the same day, another day, a week later, months, years later, he continued to pour out his love and mercy upon us so that you know, we would get to the place before this body dies that we would finally realize that, bam, whoa, I really need to acknowledge and accept the love that he gave me and accept the sacrifice that his son bestowed upon me. Then it goes further, says that, hey, he has raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Before we were saved, there were a lot of things we experienced and a lot of us encountered um, Traumatic events, things that were spoken or done to us that were ungodly, inappropriate, extremely hurtful. But we see here that even though these things may have beaten us down emotionally, discouraged us, changed our outlook on life, if we allow ourselves to not only accept the salvation of Jesus Christ, but also to start to renew our minds, he says he'll actually quicken us, which means to supernaturally revive and empower us to live on a daily basis, but it also says that he will raise us up in terms of our spiritual, emotional outlook on things so we will start to see things from his perspective, amen, looking down on the various situations we encounter. And with us raising ourselves together, we start to take on a similar mindset as Jesus Christ. Yes, horrible things may have happened to us. Yes, we may have suffered various uh, traumatic events or unfair treatment, betrayals, hurts, whatever. Maybe we were born in circumstances that were not uh, appropriate, unsafe, or whatever. 
But once Jesus Christ gets a hold of our minds, our hearts, and our emotions, and we elevate the way in which we think and perceive things and our outlook on life, everything can be changed. So no longer are we walking around feeling rejected and beat it, beaten down, and instead we see ourselves as more than conquerors in Jesus Christ, despite the fact of the things that occurred before. Amen? Once again, despite the fact that these things occurred. In other words, Jesus is not going to change the things that previously occurred in your life. He's not going to come in with a supernatural eraser and wipe your mind and your heart free of those things. I'm sure it would be a lot easier for some of us. But actually, it wouldn't be right for us. (laughs) I see a couple puzzled looks. Jesus could wipe your mind free of the things that occur to you, but it wouldn't be right for you. And here's, here's a reason. Actually, a couple reasons. The first reason it wouldn't be right is that the person you are now and the person you're yet to be is based upon an accumulation of the things that you encountered in the past. So as bad as those things may be, first of all, remembering them gives you testimonies of how great a salvation and a restoration and an empowerment and motivation that my God has given me that despite all that baggage, I still stand and I still have a hope in the future. Other reason is if he wiped your mind and your heart free to things that happened to you in the past, who's to say it won't happen again? Sometimes pain will tell you don't go there. Don't do that again. Don't trust that type of person. When somebody sells you that bill of goods, the pain of the mistakes in the past will tell you, "Uh uh-uh, my antennas are up. And quite frankly, the stuff you face as adults is usually on a bigger, more costly scale than it was as children. As an example, you, you know, you're five years old and you know, you're best friends with another girl at school, and then she decides, oh, I got a newer, improved, more improved friend. So they go talk about you, and you ex- encounter your first experience as a little girl being betrayed and kicked to the curb. Well, guess what? When you're 35 years old, and you got somebody you think is your best friend, and they, I, you know, and they thinking to undermine you or betray you, whatever, the intender could be up because of what happened years ago and the thing that happened after that and happened after that, you won't be blind, in other words. The experiences, the hurts, the mistakes that you dealt with before hone you and sharpen you and enable you to discern some of the things that you face in this current age. So once again, one of the reasons we need to keep those pains Keep those experiences, I'm going to change that, is for testimonies and for wisdom. And the reason I changed that, when I said keep those pains, if you allow God to do his work, you can recall the situation but not have the pain associated with it. Amen? So God will do this work in us. And we see here, that he shows the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards each one of us 
through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, everybody in my life rejects me. Stop looking at everybody. And I know it's not easy. We all go through stuff. But the fact is, we can spend time focusing and obsessing on this person's rejection and this person's mistreatment and this person won't approve me and that person talks about me and on and on and on again, which is things that are being initiated or targeted towards us by people that are earthly and temporal that this person might have 80 years, that one might have 60, and this one could fall over tomorrow. In the big scheme of things in eternity, what they did, it really doesn't merit much attention. And quite frankly, in a lot of cases, somebody could do something now, and it's big on the radar right now. A month from now, half the time we moved on. Or you give it a couple of years, you probably halfway remember it. And you might even say, well, that person's not my cup of tea. Well, why? I don't know. It was something years ago. You're like, I don't know. Okay. I just don't like them for some reason. <laughs> I can't even remember what they did. <laughs> I know they did something. <laughs> it was that big. You wouldn't know time, date, space, incident, things spoken. It's like, I, I don't remember why. I just know, don't trust them. <laughs> but at the time, it's just like, oh, my God, I'm overwhelmed with what they did. So we can focus on that stuff, or as we see here, Jesus says, instead of focusing on all that stuff, and yes, it, it, it merits you coming to me to pray and, and, and exercise forgiveness and pray for healing and give wisdom on how to handle it, yes. But don't make that the focus of everything in comparison to all the exceeding riches and, and love and grace, and mercy, and long-suffering, and everything that God himself is pouring out on you on a daily basis. People that are, are focusing on the negativity and the things that are going wrong in their life are missing out on so much more that is being done for their life. Matter of fact, I've seen times where people have literally been helped by people in the circumstances, but yet they choose to look at the negative. Amen? Pam and I have been there, done that. At times people are like, oh, the light's about to go off and I don't have any food. Pam and I literally, okay, here's money for your light, Bill. Here's some groceries. Oh, but last week I about, why are we still talking about that? Hasn't God blessed you now? How can you look forward to the future when your head won't get out of the mess from before? Amen. So here we see the exceeding riches of God's grace and kindness towards us, or we're supposed to see it. But if you want to have a mindset, oh, woe is me, I'm so rejected, you're going to stay there. He tells us here, we have to seat our heads, our minds, our attitudes up in heavenly places. See, God pours out his love, his mercy, and his exceeding riches and graces, grace upon all people. But just as we saw that his mercy and love were extended out to all people before they got saved and some will accept it and some will reject it, in the same manner, even after you get saved, the mercy, the grace, the exceeding riches, the healing, the guidance, the motivation, the wisdom, all these things continue to pour out upon you, but you're still living in the lane of I've got to accept it and give it power in my life. 
So do you choose to allow the rejection to have the dominant effect in your life, or do you choose to allow God's power to not only enable you to overcome that, but to bring along all the other blessings that come with it? It's all your choice. And that's why you'll see. Some people, when they get saved, there's a mighty deliverance. And some people just continue to struggle and mope through. See, some people got full hold of what God made available, while others just get the hem of his garment. <laughs> Do you just get the hem? Do you say, man, I, look, I made contact with the hem. Now I'm about to take all. I'm taking everything I get out of Jesus. Or like I said, do you go just live on the outskirts? Miss Carol talked about that earlier. Some people get saved in churches for years, and there's no change whatsoever. See, the same blessings of God, the word, the deliverance, the peace, the freedom and healing from rejection is given to all, but only some will accept it. You got to choose. I'm not going to walk around rejected anymore. Sometimes you need to start getting bad about it. Doggone it. I'm the righteousness of Christ. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a, royal, uh, a chosen generation of royal priesthood. Shoot, get mad about it. Do yourself, give yourself some homework. I know I struggle with rejection or depression or fear or whatever. Well, you've been saying that for 10 years. When does it end? Put your head in that Bible or have somebody you know will get some food from heaven to place in your lap. And then when they give it to you, ingest it. In other words, you struggle with re rejection. Find verses that tell you how you're wonderful in God. And don't just sit there and, and every time I'm overwhelmed, okay, now that I feel all beat up and destroyed, I guess I better go. Oh, I guess I better go study them scriptures, and maybe they're going to help me. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I don't know. No, you need to memorize those things. Those things are crucial for you to know. Once again, I am the righteousness of Christ. I am more than a conqueror. Greater is he that is in me. Than he that who is in this world, and you know what? Let's add a little to it. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world and than the thoughts that I'm currently feeling. So you got to make that thing personal. And whatever you're struggling with, find some passage of Scripture that not only counteract but destroy the effect of those wounds and those emotional weaknesses that you experience. Memorize some verses that counteract and destroy those thoughts. And at the first, first sign that those things are about to emerge or somebody is about to intentionally or otherwise attack you in the area of rejection, you should automatically start playing that in your mind. And you could literally be in a conversation with that person. They're walking up and they're talking to you. And you know they're going to say something negative or mean spirit or something to, to, to put you down and keep you in your place. And you sit there. I'm the righteous of God. You don't have to say it out loud, right in your head, and they're talking away. That situation last week, somebody said something to me that was totally out, outside of character. I was like, all right. And I responded to everything the person said. But when they were saying certain things, I was like, you say whatever you want. 
ain't buying it, ain't believing it, ain't accepting it. Ain't going to happen. Like I said, I'm going to be just as, you know, I'm very open to somebody critiquing me and telling me errors I need to improve. But you tell me something that's contrary to what I know, the core essence of who I am and how I deal with people to be, and you try to characterize me a certain way, the devil is a liar. All right, you, we, oh, we can have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, yep, I'll work on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, you have a nice day. Get off that phone. Don't do nothing they say. And I'm not being stubborn or prival. I just know you ain't going to call me and define me as something I know I'm not to be. And I know I'm not walking in. And if you say something that has merit, I will handle it. And I will take heed. But you trying to speak something I know that is out the pit of hell. And it's a plan and scheming the enemy to try to, under, under, to, to alter the definition of who I am or what I am currently. Uh-uh, I ain't receiving that. Nope, nope, nope. Ain't going to happen. Like I said, you can think I'm just as, as stubborn as you want. Okay, that's all right. I'll be stubborn in Jesus. And if I'm wrong, Jesus, you know what? They said something that as, actually was accurate. Get me. But I ain't buying that. So you got to know where you're at. And see, you got to be true to yourself. And see, the thing is, you got to be true enough to the point that if somebody says something that has merit, don't sit here trying to sidestep it. Devil is a liar. No, he ain't a liar this time. You do lack integrity. You are lazy or you are i wasn't pointing at you i was just going <laughs> you are lazy or, or lustful or drunk or mean spirit or whatever don't allow people to speak over you stuff that isn't true and then you take it in and you're all rejected god gives us a permission if something ain't right and they're speaking over you pull a wall up there saying devil's a liar not receiving that. And here's the thing. Even if they speak something that is true, you know, say I come into work 1030 every day. Supposed to be at 9. Brian, you late all the time. I, I can't be sitting there. Devil is a liar. I ain't late. Call me. Oh, you trying to say I'm late and lazy. Devil is a liar. No, you are late and lazy. Get your behind up and get in 9 before you, lose, before you get the revelation that you have no job. Because I see Christians do that. Devil's a lie. No, he ain't no lie. Not that time. Well, actually, it ain't the devil. It's a person making an observation that, yeah, your butt ain't right. And actually, you're giving a poor profession of what a Christian should be by the way you're conducting yourself. No, get your act together. You need to accept that butt up your behind. Get up and show yourself to be walking in excellence. But like I said, if it's something that is inappropriate, impure motive, ungodly and they try to speak that over you no and like I said even if it does hit and it's true you work on it but it should not alter your self-worth or your perceptions in God and that's where a lot of people make the mistake we always late getting your assignments done or I've told you a thousand times I expect you to finish this task this way you're just a horrible employee. Well, you don't have to accept the horrible part, but you need to accept the parts that, yes, if I'm late, stop being late. Figure out how to make adjustments to get yourself on time. And then most of all, as it relates to how we're wired and what God wants to instill in us, amen, 
realize that our salvation, our peace, our healing, our restoration, our motivation, our inspiration, our creativity, our gifts, our talents, everything we have is given through the grace of God. And he saved us, amen, and he has a plan and a purpose of us. And us getting saved is not just about us. It's about what God wants to bring out of you and the fruit and legacy of what he wants to remain in your life. Amen? It's about that. It's also about not only having a fruit for myself right now, but also spreading that fruit outward into the lives of other people. See, your life is not just about you. A lot of times people are like, oh, well, I got to get mine. Well, your life is not just about you when you're saved. It's about how you could touch other lives. And sometimes these opportunities present themselves so quickly or without any kind of planning. It's just like these, bam, these, these moments that just pop up. That if you take your eyes off yourself and you're looking for how to bless others, God will open up opportunities all over the place. See, God will take care of you and also take care of other people. But if you're walking around once again feeling all dejected and rejected, you won't be positioned for these things to occur. I just had a situation this week. Somebody posted out on our Philadelphia office private Facebook page, does anybody have an iPad Nano or Shuffle that I can borrow? And I said, you know, I responded immediately. I was the first one to respond. I said, uh, I think I have one in, in a desk at home, maybe two. I said, I could check them out, see what condition they're in. You know, and um, so I put that, and I checked a couple times. Nobody else put anything. So I was like, all right, when I get home, I'll check for it. So the person sent me a private email outside the page. And he said, oh, Brian, you know, I just want to tell you, I saw your response, and I really appreciate it. He said, but there's one thing I neglected to say. He said, if I borrow your Nano or your Shuffle, he said, um, I'll probably need it for at least a month. He said, my wife is doing volunteer work. And he said, I know, like, the Nano's only 50 bucks. But he said, man, we're so financially strapped, man, really in a hard financial situation. He said, I can't even afford $50 to buy that. So he said, you know, I'm just letting you know. And if you need to, you can reject the original offer to give it to me. But he said, it's not going to be like I need it for a day. It's going to be a month. And he said, I promise to get it back to you. So I was like, wow, you know, his wife's doing volunteer work um, and hard financial uh, situation. But here's the thing. We've only talked privately a couple times in passing. So, like, for him to trust me enough to tell me something so sensitive that, you know, I was like, wow, he really trusts me to say I'm in this financial bind. And, you know, because you think most of the people in an agency like that were doing relatively good. So I was like, wow, he really entrusted me with some sensitive information. And, you know, with that comes assumption, like, oh, Brian ain't going, hey, man, you hear Nick's in a financial bind, you know, can't afford $50. You know? I can see, like, there's a level of trust there. So I was coming home. I was praying about the situation and everything. I was like, you know what? I sincerely do believe I have a couple ones sitting in my desk that could be charged up. I was like, you know what? They've been sitting there for a while. I don't know how long the charge would be. So I went to, I worked out that night, drove over to Best Buy, and I just bought him one, brand new. I was, and he was like, oh, man, dude, you didn't do that, man. You Come on, man, you shouldn't have done it. Enjoy. And his wife is um, just un, without any, any, any notice, basically. They were in a bind at this mountain retreat. They don't allow any phones or anything. It's drug and alcohol rehab. 
and they called her short notice because they had supposed to have a certain number of counselors um, to get up there in the mountains and help these people get off this stuff. And I guess either people had to leave or they couldn't at the last minute. So they literally called her up and say, look, you know, we need more counselors. Like, can you get up here? And she jumped because her brother literally went through that program before. So I was like, man, it's just like, well, the church is actually, we blessed them. You know, the church blessed them, you know, to help, you know, turn lives around. Amen. And um, that to me is what it's about. Being approachable. And if we're walking around feeling like I'm the mutt, the doormat, and the waste product of the world, and I'm not of any use, these opportunities won't, won't present themselves. And I had another situation, too, um, last week. Somebody came to me and basically told me something that everybody doesn't know that's private, you know, came to me and shared, like, well, what do you think about this? And the person was a little cautious, and I gave insight on how to handle it. Wow, actually, this <laughs> I had multiple situations last week. I just thought of another one where somebody was going through something bad, you know, rough at the job, and I gave them professional advice on how to handle it. But if we're walking around beat up, nobody's going to come to us. Amen? And they're not telling us that we can't have a bad day or bad moment. I had that too. Multiple times last week between something that happened and then the whole encryption thing and Wow, did I just lose all the financial data of the ministry and my, you know, business? Like, that was weighing on me during the week, you know? So we all go through stuff. But see, even though we go through stuff, never in the midst of me going through the multiple trials and tribulations that came my way that I know straight were straight-up attacks, um, through none of them did I say, I'm less of a person. You know, look at me. I'm a misfit. I'm this or that. Matter of fact, the encryption attack, I was celebrating the purchase of a new car. I get home. I'm like, usually like, oh, look through the manuals, look at the features. I'm dealing with an attack on my computer. <laughs> so I couldn't even like, well, I can't even enjoy that. I'm dealing with this nonsense now, which could take me a week. I'm still not fully restored. <laughs> I mean, all my... Documents and stuff are up, but I still have a few programs that, in the midst of me juggling responsibilities, I haven't installed all my software yet. You know, I have it all available, but, but I basically like, all right, what are the essentials this week? Okay, I need Microsoft Office so I can type my sermons. I need, uh, you know, in PowerPoint. I need um, my Bible program. I need to install iTunes for <laughs> the songs. So I was putting the essentials up all week, and then it's like, okay, then I'll get into the lesser important things, you know, probably some tonight. So anyway, I had some trials and tribulations. Actually, last week was kind of a rough week, but it didn't change the definition of who I am. And I even had somebody speak something that you could say, like, could have hit in and said, like, whoa, this is what people think about me? Man, wow. But I was like, uh-uh, that ain't true. And I respectfully said, please give me examples. And the person sat there silently. And then they said something else. I was like, once again, please give me examples. The person had no examples. I was like, okay, so therefore there's no merit to what you're saying. I didn't say to them, but to me I was like, there's no merit to what you're saying. And I will respect your leadership, and I will give you 100%, go up the hill, fight the dragon for you. But in terms of that stuff that's unmerited and no evidence, blah, 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 
I'm not letting that redefine me. Amen. And I'm not letting that discourage me. And I saw it for what it was. It was immediate counterattack to something I did that was kind of out there and open and well-received by those who are open, but maybe not received by those who want to keep a certain mindset. And I'm still like, I know I did what was right. But like I said, as a result, a counterattack came to kind of teach me a lesson. Keep quiet. Like, nope, ain't going to happen. Got to do what God says to do. Got to stand for what is right. Amen? Hallelujah. Um, I'm going to share one last one under rejection, instilling a sense that the very essence of who you are is unacceptable. And we're going to continue on with rejection next week. I already knew. I was like, ain't no way going to get through rejection in one week. You just cannot do so, you know, be prepared. It could be next week. It could be another week after that. But rejection, we got to get in the trenches, I think. So, I mean, it's worthy of its own <laughs> epic series, quite frankly. So we're going to keep, keep digging. Amen. Um, last one, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our, the Lord Jesus Christ who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And I'm going to piggyback that with the last passage, which was Ephesians 4, 2, 4 through 10. One of the things I, I failed to mention there, like, it talks about us being saved by faith. Saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, is the gift of God. Him being, um, us being God's workmanship. Amen? How can, you, how can people reject what is God's workmanship? How can you even reject God's workmanship? If we believe God to be perfect, true, and pure, how can we reject anything he's created? Once again, whether it's people rejecting you or you yourself, you are rejecting God's workmanship, or they are. Amen? And that doesn't mean, once again, that we don't have attributes we need to work on and clean up. Yeah, we might have some stuff that needs to be tweaked. But you can't take the essence of the whole thing and say, you don't matter. You're insignificant. Why are you here? Why do you even exist? Trey sent me an article this week. Despicable. This young, young girl, Michelle Carter, I think it was. She had a boyfriend. I put it in quotes because if that's a girlfriend, God help all the boyfriends. But she's a girlfriend. Uh, here's the thing. As I'm reading it and getting to the end, I'm thinking, like, was it even a real girlfriend? Or was, did she even get herself into his life under the guise of being a girlfriend just to do what she did? Because they talked to his best friend. He's like, I never heard of her. He's like, I never heard of her. Or maybe he heard her name, but, like, who is she in significance in his life? I didn't know too much about her. That's his best friend. So anyway, she's so-called the girlfriend. They're going back and forth. He's depressed. He's talking about suicide. 
And she ends up, instead of saying, you need to get help, you need to get counseling, go talk to your family, go talk to school, somebody, she's just encouraging through a series of, um, uh, of texts to kill himself. And when he's wa- wavering, she's like, oh, well, you're not serious. Like, were you going to do it or not? And she keeps coming at him day after day. Like, well, when are you going to do it? When are you going to com- commit to this? Well, if you're wavering, then, you know, well, you're just not, you know, serious. And, like, what is wrong? Why can't you make up? She just keeps coming at him and coming at him. And finally gets to the place where he's supposed to do it. You're going to do it tonight, right? You're going to do it tonight? No, he didn't. He doesn't do it. Following morning, he texts her. Couldn't do it. Look, are you going to do it or not? You know, last night would have been perfect. But you know what? Now I think of it today is better. So you need to do it here in a public place, blah, 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 and get it over with. He said, well, I'm not sure. What about my family? Oh, your family will be okay. They'll be okay. You know, just do it. They'll know you loved them, and they know you, you felt love. Just go ahead and do it. She keeps pushing and pushing. And the boy literally gets in the truck, and the plan is to close up his truck with a generator to pump carbon monoxide in and to basically, you know, put him to sleep and kill him. He literally, in the truck, in the generator, gets out, texts her, and say, you know what, I, I can't do it. She's like, well, did you have the generator on? Yeah. Well, just get back in the truck. You got to do it. Get back in the truck. She tells him in the midst of the act, get back in and finish the job. And then, before he died, she was texting people thinking he had killed himself the night before. So she's putting things like, it's my fault that he's dead. She actually texted people. He hadn't done it yet. She thought he had. And then after this, like, oh, people are going to blame me. And then she's sending text to people like, oh, if they see the, the text message logs of me talking to him, they're going to think it's my fault. And she's texting people this. And then they track it down. And it's like, and she had encouraged him to delete the logs, but he didn't, which they would have gone back to the phone companies anyway. Because it's always on the server. But here's the thing. She got charged with manslaughter. She's looking at potentially 20 years. You want to know the way in which she grieved? She's still competing at school in various events. She went to her prom. And she went on a class trip to Disney as she's waiting trial. This girl's so sorrowful. It's like, I know she's looking at 20. They need to find a way to make it more. Person like that does not, that, that is a sociopath. Sociopath. And I am one of the biggest people you ever find against bullying. Like, that might be a case where you could justify. They should make her life hell at that school. <laughs> She's just a competing and, oh, going to the school prom. <sighs> See, take somebody that's feeling rejected and you heap rejection on it and, and, and coax the person. In terms of taking her life. He was God's workmanship. You cannot sit back and allow somebody to be devastated like that. And it's a shame nobody was able to step in. It's a shame he didn't go to his best friend and say, hey, my girlfriend's saying, you know, I should go ahead and do this. Because from what it sounded like with the best friend, the best friend would be like, yo, man, you need to get some help. So um, it's just sad that People feel that their workmanship was not enough. And God 
wants to position us so that not only do we receive and understand and fully grasp how wonderfully and fearfully we are made, but we can now communicate that same message into the lives of others who may not have that understanding. Amen? And hopefully we can prevent cases such as this. And then we see here, God makes it even further. He said, not only do I love you, but actually, think about this. This is so incredibly deep. Before the foundation of the world, <laughs> think about that, the age of the earth itself. God said, before I even formed this planet, I had already predestined that you would be born to live a life on it. How in the world can we ever feel like we're misfits, we're unwanted, we're unloved? No matter what the circumstances of your birth were, amen? Fred Hammond, we love his singing. He was supposed to be aborted. People had tried to talk his mom in, and the plan was his mom was going to have an abortion. Last minute, she couldn't do it. One of the greatest singers on this planet should never have been born if the enemy's devices had worked. And I've heard that over and over again, different people. I think Israel, Israel had the same thing, should have been aborted. Look at that, two people praising the name of Jesus Christ with all their might. Worldwide scale, according to the enemy's plans, never should have been born. So they were under a spirit of rejection. Terminate them before they could even be born. Terminate them. That spirit of rejection. But yet, thank God their mothers resisted and, and, and gave birth to them. And that's the purpose of the plan. God, before the foundation of the world itself, envisioned each one of us. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you, you feel depression, you feel um, rejection, don't sit there and just walk with that and accept that. Get into the Word of God. The Word of God make you have a party over yourself. You'd be like, wow, man, I am incredible. You think about the things that God says about each one of us? Before this planet, you mean this one. This thing I'm on right now with the, the, the birds and the bees and the sun and the cars and I know air pollution. But um, all these wondrous things. You know what? You need to go just go on your computer and do a search. Exotic places of the earth. Just bring up all the images. Like, wow. Look at the waterfalls. Look at the glaciers. Look at the aurora borealis. Look at the hummingbirds. Look at this and that. And then think about it and say, and all these incredible things, before God created a planet to put me on, he saw me, me, and said, I want you, and I love you, and I want you here, and I have a purpose and a plan. And he said, not only that, but he made a plan to not only make you be born here, but not be born to live a fruitful and devoid life, but live an abundant life where you now accept him and go from having a temporal mortal life to eternal life. He loved you enough to make sure all of that was assured through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And he, not, he did not want you to be born to be rejected, even if you were born and you grew up and you didn't have a father. God said, hey, I predestinated you to have 
to be adopted as children through Jesus Christ himself. Talk about adoption. Wow. That's an incredible adoption. And every aspect of your life is according to the good pleasure of his will. We make mistakes. Some of us were accidents, oops moment by our parents. Maybe the parents didn't stay together. Maybe they divorced. Maybe once again, they didn't want another child. Or maybe the dad finding a woman is pregnant, I'm out of here. I didn't want to be a dad. He's a deadbeat dad. All those things may have occurred. Maybe you were born as a product of rape. Whatever it is, it's an accident to them, but it was predestinated by God before the foundation of this world. And it said all these things according to the good pleasure of his will. God looking at us sees good pleasure, even though the people around us and even ourselves might say, oh, miserable, wretched person that I am. God's perspective, and this is why we have to be, allow our minds and emotions to be seated in heavenly places. Because as long as we are earth-rooted in our thought processes, we can allow the negativity and the dejection and the rejection to weigh down and destroy us and eat away at us inside until either we're just miserable and can't amount to anything or we explode like that guy did against those reporters. We could choose to live that way or we could elevate our thoughts and see things from God's perspective. As he looks down on us, he's like, yes, you might mess up. Yes, I may have to give you a little spanking. But everything I see in you is according to the good pleasure of my will. I got a smile on my face, baby. So the world might look down. <laughs> no, we don't want you. <laughs> yeah, right, you. The world can say and look and body language and betray and do all kinds of stuff. But when you see them frown, you need to look at God and say, whoo, he's smiling. Amen? And it says, all these things are to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That's a phrase right there. You feel rejected that you need to memorize. Even if you don't memorize the whole thing. Just catch that last phrase there. He hath made, personalize it, me accepted in the beloved. He hath made me accepted in the beloved. We don't want you to be part of our group. He hath made me accepted in the beloved. I thought we were friends. Like, how could you dog me out like that? Because, uh, you know, well, I was getting tired of you. You know, you're just getting on my nerves. You know, we, look, we can just break our relationship now. Because I'm just kind of tired of you. Okay, well, you rejected me. He hath made me accepted in the beloved. They're about to do some cutbacks on the job. You think you made the grade because you've been doing good work. They call you in the manager's office. Sorry, we got to let you go. Well, wait a minute. You keeping so-and-so? That parties and drinks with the boss but don't get half the stuff done and you let me go? All right, the job rejected me. He hath made me accepted in the beloved. So you got to retrain your thought process, amen? That's something we all have to work on. So I'm going to close with that today, amen? But that's one of the first things. You know, we could start maybe over the next week as we continue on rejection. Just look at the core of who you are, how you're comp comprised, your gifts, your attributes, the things you experience. And are you really seeing yourself
um, as someone is accepted and beloved, or are you allowing rejection to instill a sense that you don't belong, you're unacceptable, you're inadequate, you're untalented, you're unwanted, whatever. And if you feel that way, allow God to penetrate your heart and mind to start changing your thought process. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's all rise. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you the praise, honor, and glory for everything you're doing in our lives today, Lord. And right now, we praise and thank you as we deal with the principality of rejection, Lord, which lies and deceives and has the motive to seek and destroy those that will fall prey to it. We just thank you right now, Father, if we have felt rejected, Lord, and has brought in a sense of um, fear or self-hatred, depression, um, dissatisfaction, Whatever it may be, Lord, we thank you right now, Father, that you begin healing us supernaturally by your spirit and by your word. Allow your word to come back to our minds every time we would feel that way. Father, bring us joy, bring us comfort, allow us to see your everlasting love that before the foundation of the world, once again, you made us accepted and the beloved and you ordained. You saw us long before we were here probably eons before we were even born. You saw each one of us uniquely, and there was a purpose and a plan. There's different gifts and talents and attributes you placed within us. And even in things that will come against us, you had wired us in such a way that we would be able to overcome those things. And instead of them destroying us, they would make us more versatile, more flexible, stronger, more insightful and wise and, and, and able to use the weapons of warfare and the gifts that you have bestowed upon us. We thank you, Father, for continuing to do a work in us, Lord, that our minds will be seated, our emotions will be seated in heavenly places, Lord, that we see things from your perspective. And, Father, in those areas where we've been wounded, we ask you right now, Father, not to patch it up with Band-Aids, but to do heart surgery, to fully repair our hearts and our emotions, Lord, that we would fully absorb your grace and your mercy and your love, that we would fully be mindful of the things you've spoken over us as opposed to what people and situations and um, other things have done to traumatize us, to wound us, or to make us see ourselves in anything other than what you would ordain for us. And we just praise you and give you the glory and honor, Lord. Begin the healing process right now. We thank you in our minds and in our hearts and our spirits to make us whole in you, that we would also be fruitful to impart the things you've um, instilled in us in the lives of other people. And we just praise you and give you the glory and honor and praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.